So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew? Uh, we're going to be Matthew 21, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. So it says this. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Beth, Bethpage, Bethpage, I don't know how to say that. God bless me. On the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt beside her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he'll send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to your daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and they did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they placed their cloaks on it for Jesus to sit on. A very loud crowd spread out their cloaks upon the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them out onto the road. The crowds went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and shaken. And they asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin this incredible week that is filled with so much, the, the end of a term, we're running camps, we're going on holidays, there's so much happening. Lord, as we begin it now, I pray that you would draw us back to you that we would enter back into this incredible story and that we might, more than anything, see you, Jesus. I pray that you'd remind us of who you are today in a way that brings life and hope as we look forward to resurrection. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. So today we find the most famous procession in all of scripture. This most famous moment of this entrance that comes in and is able to shake everything that we know. It shakes a whole city and eventually shakes the whole world, even up until now. And it's remarkable how much an entrance or a procession can shake our understanding of the world. How much it can shake up what we talk about and what we think about. In fact, over these last few months, there have been a few processions that have totally shaken the world. These moments of people coming up and entering that we can't stop talking and, and fighting about and discussing. One of the most famous processions that happened recently uh, happened uh, on TV. <laughs> Anyone follow this one? For those of you who aren't familiar, this is arguably, at, when it happened, it became the most talked about thing on the internet. Like, it just exploded everywhere. This was at the Oscars, uh, just a normal Oscars evening of rich people congratulating each other on doing things that they're overpaid for. Anyway, um, but they're all giving each other awards, and Chris, jo uh, Chris Rock makes a joke about uh, Will Smith's wife, and Will Smith does not take very kindly to it, and so you get this incredibly awkward procession from where he's sitting down, when you watch the film, it's, it's, it's it's awkward, as 
Chris Rock tries to alleviate the tension by going, oh, okay. And then you see Will Smith walk up and just slap the guy and then turn around and walk back off while shouting a few things that I'm not allowed to say on a Sunday morning. And obviously it was shocking, right? That procession, someone came in and changed everything. But what was crazy was how much it shook the internet. You could not be online without there being some new hot take about the slap. And there was every opinion that you've ever heard. There's the people who were like just so upset about the violence. Of course, Hollywood glorifies violence, and now Will Smith feels compelled to use violence to assert his own dominance. It got tied into think pieces about the patriarchy, patriarchy and toxic male masculinity. There are people who are upset with just the whole Oscars thing, that it's just this elite people giving other elite people awards, and why are we even caring about it? But then there were also corners of the internet that were stoked. They thought that Chris Rock and comedy had gone too far. Like, comedy is just horrific. It's only saying mean things to each other. And you know what? Chris Rock got what he deserved. At least he, Will Smith, stood up for his wife. We need more men to stand up for their wives. And then, once all those think pieces got written, if you're on Twitter, which you probably shouldn't be for your spiritual health, but I am because I'm still a sinner in need of God's grace and redemption, Twitter explodes as the people who are upset about toxic masculinity fight with the people who are excited that a man is protecting his wife, and it just thousands upon thousands of articles, all arguing about what we should be. And there was no dominant narrative Someone made a procession, and it shook things, and it again showed how divided we are, and how unable we are to have a conversation with one another in a semi-coherent form. Instead, we just fell back to our polarized corners. Whatever you thought before the slap is what you thought after the slap, but you just believe it more vehemently because of the slap. A procession shook the entire internet for all of us as we got stuck talking about something that happened thousands of miles away. And then, of course, there's another procession that's a lot more serious than two rich people fighting on a stage for over award season. In 20, on the 24th of February, we had another incredible procession. As over the previous few months, Russia had gathered thousands upon thousands of troops on the Ukrainian border. And almost every policy expert said, nothing's going to happen. There's no way. It's going to cost them too much. It's, it's never going to happen. And then, in a moment not that unlike what Jesus did, the tanks, the artillery, and thousands and thousands of troops stormed across the Ukrainian border. They did it to announce a reign of peace. Putin, in his explanation, talked about how there's been genocide of Russians in Ukraine, about how Ukraine isn't even a government, it's a, it's a Nazi propped up government and it needs saving. And so the Russians come in the name of a leader with peace on the backs of tanks and missiles to try and restore peace or order. And since that moment, it's been, it's been rough. They estimate that over 24,000 people have died in the conflict. And what's crazy is that they also estimate that at least 25% of the country, 40, 40, 50 million people, 25% of the country has now been displaced as they had to flee their homes. Over 10 million people now are fleeing to try and find somewhere else to live because of a procession that was meant to bring peace or restore order. And now you think here, 
If you live in a Western country like we do here, most of us assume that the entire world was upset about Russia's movements, that the entire world was angry, like how could someone do this? Like theoretically, we'd all be on the same side of this one, right? We'd all be unified in our anger towards Russia, and across the, the West, we, for the most part, were. But it's worth noting, take a, look at this, uh, take a look at this photo. The countries in green are the ones that have sanctioned Russia. The countries in the gray are the ones who haven't done anything yet. So, are we really that unified? Uh, I'll also, it's worth noting that China and India make up about a third of the world's population. And at this stage, they still haven't really said we're taking a stand or made anything. And if you get outside of the Western internet, it is not a cut and dry, Russia's the bad guy, Ukraine's good. The polarization's there. People are fighting over this is, is this right, is this wrong? And how do any of us even trust what's online anymore, right? Anything you see, if it's from Ukraine, it's Ukrainian propaganda. If you see it from Russia, it's Russian propaganda. If you get numbers of how many Russians have died from Russia, you don't trust it. If you get many numbers from Ukraine of how many Russians have died, you're not allowed to trust it. And the world is again stuck into, you think we'd be unified, but no, we are still shaken. Someone goes to make peace in a procession of war, and we're still shaken by it, polarized and divided. And of course, there was another procession that was much more close to home for us. Uh, this one didn't happen millions of miles away. This one happened in our own backyard. There was another procession that happened out on the grounds in front of our parliament. And this one's a tense one. Whew, we're going there, right? Because I know in our community, some of our people from our community have been down there supporting those who did not want to get vaccinated. Well, I also know that there are other members of our community who watched this on the news and just couldn't believe that anyone would be down there. And it was a procession of two groups, each pushing for the best ideal of peace, of what they wanted to happen. And has it brought a great sense of unity to our country? I mean, the mask mandates are gone, but it's still complicated, isn't it? The vaccine mandates are shifting back, but some of those divisions are still there. And again, speaking honestly for our church, I'm very excited that we're back together, but we've, we've been apart for nine months. And for five months of that, we have been mostly separated by ideological lines along the vaccination status. We've been shaken by our procession. And it's gonna be hard. What, do we, what hope do we have in the midst of this? Yeah, there's trivial things like Will Smith and Chris Rock getting into a fight on stage, but then there's global wars that affect millions of people, billions when you count the inflation costs and the economic hard hardship after that. And here in New Zealand, we are still bearing the weight of the shaking that has hit us. And it can feel hard in the season as we look ahead towards Easter and we talk about resurrection. It can be easy for us to romanticize Jesus, being like, okay, cool, he's forgiven my sins and one day I'll die to go to heaven and I don't have to worry about it. But we can assume that that doesn't mean anything for now. Because in the, great, in the face of all of our shakeups, of the processions that we've had to endure, it can be hard to know if there's hope in the midst of that. It can be hard to know if we can come back from this. It can be hard to know How's that war gonna end? How are we gonna come back together as a country and love one another? How are we gonna move forward as a church, schools, hospitals, businesses, workplaces, after such a difficult season? And here we have a story from scripture of another procession. 
And most of us miss this when we read this story. We read about the crowds shouting Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and we hear about the palm branches. And often we think that means that everybody was celebrating Jesus' arrival, like everyone was stoked. But take a moment to look at the scripture closer with me. It's perhaps not as simple as we thought. Matthew goes out of his way, actually, to show something. See, Jesus is arriving at the beginning of Passover. Passover is a Jewish feast when people from all over the, the, the wider world, what's called the diaspora, the, the Roman Empire, Jews from across the Roman Empire would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. And so Jerusalem, which was normally a city of 30,000 people, they estimate, by Passover could easily swell to 180,000. It would just massively expand. And so Jesus who at this point in the Gospel of Matthew has spent his entire time, not in Jerusalem, he spent his entire time up in the north region called Galilee. And it's kind of like the difference, Galilee and Jerusalem is like the difference between like Aucklanders and South Islanders. Like, they're not the greatest of friends, right? Okay, Aucklanders are like, it's where all the power and the money and everything is established. And the Galileans were kind of like country people, out from the hills. Sorry if there's Aucklanders. I don't mean for you guys to be the bad people in this illustration. I grew up in Mexico City. We don't need another division besides the vaccines. Ignore what I've said. But what you have is these two groups, the regional people of Galilee, where Jesus has been doing most of his miracles, who love him. They're the ones that follow down. Look at this text. A very loud crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches and spread them on the, uh, from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted. And at the beginning of this passage, it talks about how Jesus is himself is starting out on the Mount of Olives, which is a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem. And so the crowd who were really excited about this arriving Jesus are all the travelers, predominantly the Galileans who've traveled with him. And so Jesus has come from his northern region with all of his people, and they are stoked. They're calling him a new king. They're excited about him. But what happens when Jesus enters Jerusalem? The whole city was shaken. Jerusalem was nervous as Jesus stepped foot inside the city walls. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the people who were connected with the temple, they were nervous and in this moment, there was a polarized community of Galileans who were super excited and they wanted Jesus to be this messianic ruler king who would kick out the Romans and restore peace. And the Jerusalem folks were pretty nervous because there was now this unknown entity who was gonna challenge them for power. And you find yourself again, even 2,000 years later, something is shaken, people are divided, and you can wonder what hope is there in this moment. Well, in the very center of the story, Matthew buries hope in a way that most of us modern readers can skip over. And he buries hope by using scripture. And if I'm honest, most of us, when we read through Matthew, you get to some of these like verses and you just kind of like, all right, cool, Old Testament verse, great, move on. But he drops two verses in there that change everything, that make this procession different from any procession that has ever happened previously and it also makes this procession different from any procession that will ever happen again. It makes it different from Ukraine, from Wellington, from Chris Rock. It's all different because of what is buried in these scriptures. And what are they? The first one, you get Hosanna. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Did you know that's from a song? 
the people there are quoting a psalm. And whenever you see scripture referenced in the Bible, can I encourage you to take the time and go back and read the context of the scripture around it? Because Psalm 118, what's the wider context for that? What comes right before that Hosanna cry? Matthew is reminding us that the stone the builders rejected will become the great cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us, grant us success. It's the same language, Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. For from the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, bows, again, reference to branches, bows in hand, we join in the feast festal procession up to the horns of the altar. And so Matthew is intentionally drawing this back and reminding us this isn't an ordinary person who's walking in today. What we've longed for is not just another political leader who can come and save us. What we need is not just another army to come and shake things up. We need someone to come and save the very nature of our world. And what Matthew's showing us by drawing in Psalm 118 is the stone that this builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So there's something unassuming at the person at the center of this whole circle that we don't necessarily think can make any difference, but that's because we're looking with the wrong eyes. The thing we look over and we reject is actually the moment where God comes to deliver us. And what's the second passage? It's that passage from Zechariah where it says, say to your daughter Zion, see, uh, see your king comes to you righteous and victorious. This is the full quote from Zechariah. Now, when we read that, we normally think, okay, so Jesus had to get a donkey because he had to fulfill prophecy because if he didn't fulfill prophecy, he wouldn't be Messiah. No, that's a terrible way of looking at it. It's true, Jesus did fulfill prophecy, but it misses the significance of why Jesus went out of his way to get this donkey there. And look at what comes right after that. That's verse nine. Look what comes right next in Zechariah. What will this coming humble king on a donkey come and do? I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, which is another name for Israel. I'll take away the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And as, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit and return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. See, at the center of this whole procession, we can so often focus on the polarization and the things that are going wrong. We can look at a war in Ukraine and feel disheartened. We can look at the, at the fires and the violence that made its way across our parliament grounds and we can think, what hope is there in the midst of this? How can we ever come back? But what we miss so often is the person at the very center of that entire cyclone. And the person at the center of that cyclone is a humble King Jesus, riding on a donkey. Again, that mark is so different when you think of Putin's entrance into Ukraine. How did he enter? With the biggest show of strength he could muster. How does God enter into our world? On a humble donkey, not as a warlord. In fact, what has God come to do? 
He doesn't come as a great king who's going to rule and break authority with chariots and fire. What is this king going to come and do? He's going to remove the chariots. He's going to break the bows and peace will be proclaimed to the nations. A new beginning because the way that Jesus is going to go about things is radically different from the way the rest of the world's processions work. He doesn't need worldly strength. He doesn't need worldly power. He doesn't need our efforts. God is coming and he's changing everything by his own hand. In the way that we reject him, he has become the capstone. And so there is hope in this message, Zechariah says. Prisoners will be freed. Prisoners of hope can return to their fortress and they will be restored twice as much as what was taken. See, this Palm Sunday, and this Easter, it's a weird one, isn't it? it it's weird. It's been a hard few months. It's been a hard few years. And it can be really easy to lose hope, to feel divided. Will, the, will we have a future? Will this church have a future beyond this season? Will we be able to make it through? Will our jobs be able to make it through? Will this war end? Can we do anything about it? It's really easy to feel small and hopeless and helpless. But the message of Palm Sunday that gives us more hope than anything else is that at the center of this chaos that is spinning around us, there is a humble, quiet Jesus who is coming to make all things new. There is a Jesus who is going to enter into the polarization that we face, and he is going to form a new family from it. He did it with his disciples, tax collectors and zealots now sitting arm and arm at a table together, creating and forging a new kingdom. And he's not going to have to use force or coercion. In fact, when Peter takes out his sword and begins to attack, what does Jesus say? Stop. Put it away. Jesus picks up the soldier's ear and heals his very own oppressor. And God begins to shake up the world, not through great signs or powers or acts of wonder. How does God begin to restore and redeem everything? By entering into the very worst moment that humanity has. He enters into the very center of the cyclone of our world. And from death, we receive the promise of new life. And so today, I have hope. I have incredible amounts of hope. Not because things are easy. They're not. They're still hard. I have incredible amounts of hope, not because there's going to be any easy, quick fixes or quick answers. It's not. Jesus usually leads us to the cross before we get to resurrection. And I have hope, not because we can come up with a great organizational plan that'll take us from A to B and everything will be happy, that in a year, once this new building that we have is built, everything will be magically better. No, I don't have hope for any of those reasons. I have hope because in the midst of the cyclone that we have been walking through, that we have been bearing as a church, as families, as a nation... I have hope because today there is a simple promise. God is coming close. He is not far. He is not distant. He has not left you, and no difficulty is too great for him to overcome. No polarization is beyond his ability to reconcile. No brokenness is beyond his ability to heal. No hate or anger is too great for the power of his love and his forgiveness and his mercy. No faults and weaknesses goes beyond the power of his grace to redeem and restore. There is nothing that he cannot do. And on Palm Sunday, this Easter, this Holy Week, we have hope as a community of faith. Not because it looks great on paper, but because we know in the swirling tempest of this procession, in the internet where there's a thousand voices yelling about what's the right way, 
And as we are confused and we don't know what the best thing is to do, in the center of this noise, Jesus is coming. Lowly and riding on a donkey. And he wages weapons not the way the world does. He is humble, quiet, and meek. He's going to take the pain that we carry and he's going to transform it into new life. He's going to take the divisions we hold and he will restore us into a family. Not because there's anything we have anything great to do about it, but because that's who he is. And that's what the hope of Palm Sunday brings. God is coming close again. Are you ready for him? Are you ready for him? He's coming close to our church. It's Easter. He's drawing close. To your family, do you need him? Because he's coming close. To your workplace, do you need some healing there? He's coming close. To your brokenness, your fears, your insecurity, your finances, God is coming. And that is reason for hope. It's a reason to celebrate. Yeah, if you guys want to come on up. So I want to finish today. Jesus is coming here. In the middle of the tempest of our processional moment, with all the noise, I believe that Jesus is drawing close. As are the seagulls. If you're wondering what that is, that's seagulls dropping food onto our roof and eating it. One day it totally freaked out me and Bernie. We spent half an hour trying to figure out what it was. Birds. Welcome to Golden Sands. My question for you is where does God need to show up for you? Where does God need to minister his quiet, humble, meek, life-giving love? I wonder if we can have a moment to pray for that, to speak that out, to open up ourselves to this moment. Because again, the, the biggest danger of Easter is that we just rush. We rush through it all. There's so many things we gotta do, meals we gotta cook, holidays we gotta get ready, things we gotta do, camps we gotta run, and that's all good, they're important, they're valuable. But today at the beginning of Holy Week, take a moment to pause and reflect. Where does God need to show up for you? Take another 10, 15 seconds, 20 seconds. Stop and reflect. Where does God need to show up for you? Where does Jesus need to ride into to restore some life? Does anything feel overwhelming? Confusing? Too much? Like you don't know what's right, which way's up or down? Where does Jesus need to enter into? I just have this sense that for some of us we we really need to hear that message today I myself needed to hear that message today that despite whatever things may look like there is hope because God is drawing near Holy Spirit I pray that you would fill this room right now 
Lord, we already know that you are here. Help make us aware of your presence in your spirit. And God, I pray that you would begin to minister to us. And specifically, God, I pray that you would minister hope. Lord, this year we need hope because our own human efforts are falling short. Our governments, our tools, our capacities, our abilities, our leaders, they're falling short. Lord, and we need hope, but a hope that comes from you. God, I pray for those, if, if, if there are some of us here who feel today a sense of desperation or apathy or just a sense of just total being overwhelmed. Lord, I pray right now by the power of your spirit, you'd begin to minister hope to that place. Remind us that you are not a God who is far off, but you are a God who draws close. You enter in to the very worst moments of our pain and there you lead us through it into life. You stand at the center of our vortexes with peace. I pray that if people feel overwhelmed today that you would minister peace in Jesus' name. Lord, and I pray for our church and churches across this country. It's been a hard season for your family. There's been divisions, there's been fights, there's been challenges. As a family, we've had to navigate pain and disappointment together. Lord, I pray right now that you administer hope to our church and churches across this country. Would you remind us that our life and our functioning and our ability does not depend on numbers or our capacity or our ministries or our programs, but Jesus, you are the life from which everything flows. That you draw a family together, that you bind a community together in your name. And you send them out, warts and all, problems and complications to minister your life and your kingdom. God, I pray that you would restore the hope of our church and churches across this country. That we would have hope in your gospel. Hope in a God who enters the very worst moments of our world to bring life. Jesus, we worship you and we praise you. Minister your life to us today, I pray.